Well, we're going to read from Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to largely speak from verses 6 through 22, but I decided last night to cut this down a little bit. Um, so we're going to read verses 8 through 18 right now. Ruth is one of my favorite books in the Bible, partly because it's short, but partly because <laughs> there's so much packed into four short chapters. And uh, I think this section will give us a feel. If you have not read the book of Ruth before, we're going to give you enough of a foretaste that hopefully you'll go back and read the rest of it later on. How about if you read this with me? Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant each, that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these rich, meaningful stories that are provided for us in the Jewish scriptures. Thank you for the example of faith from long ago and for the message of the kinsman redeemer who foreshadows Jesus who came in order to become a part of our tribe who came in order to rescue us and to redeem us to buy us out of our our debt to sin and to give us a new outlook on life thank you for the hope that comes when we know that we're forgiven when we know that we're on a path toward following you and being honored by you, no matter where we start, no matter what kind of baggage we carry with us, we know that we are all one in this room and that none of us is able to, in and of ourselves, complete all of your expectations. And none of us can exonerate ourselves from our own sin. But thank you for being a God who meets people along the journey, those who are just getting started, those who've wandered away from the path and are wondering if there's still room to come back, those whose lives are complicated, those whose lives are easy and free, 
We all need the same grace. Lord, we pray that in the right time and the right way that you will shine your light of understanding into every member of our families, that they will all understand that grace and seek that same kind of deep forgiveness-oriented, grace-oriented relationship with you. We pray for the neighbors who live on each side of us or the, the people who we work with. And there are many who would long to really know your truth. There are many who are driving themselves silly by trying to outdo everybody else in order to perform for you. Thank you for loving your children just because they are your children. And thank you for lavishing your grace on those who turn toward you. And I pray, Lord, that by the time that we leave here today, we will have this profound sense of just how strong that grace is. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you are familiar with Father Henry Nouwen. In the final year of his life, Henry Nouwen wrote a book called Sabbatical Journeys. And in that book, he wrote about some friends of his who were trapeze artists. They were called the Flying Rondellas. Doesn't that sound exotic? And they told Darwin that there's a special relationship between the flyer and the catcher on the trapeze in the midst of a team like this. The flyer is the one who lets go, and the, the catcher, of course, is the one who catches those arms and hands in midair. As the flyer swings high above the crowd on the trapeze, the moment always comes when he or she must let go. And the flyer then arcs out into the air, high above the crowd. His job is to remain as still as possible and wait for the strong hands of the catcher to pluck him from the air. One of these flying rondellas told Nowen, quote, the flyer must never try to catch the catcher. The flyer must wait with absolute trust. The catcher will catch him, but he must wait. Henry Nowen's simple story about the flying rondellas highlights one of the most common frustrations between people like you and me and God. God always asks us to trust him and to trust his timing. And most of us have great difficulty because we don't like this thing that we call waiting. Anybody identify with that? I don't know about you, but I always want things to work out on my time frame, according to my expectations. And last time I checked, God doesn't operate that way. He didn't put a clause in there that says that any of us get to determine all of that. The result is that most people at some point or another experience disappointment with God. We think this is God's problem, but really it is our problem. We place our own expectations upon God most often without understanding his timing, his will, or his priorities, we demand that God must meet our expectations and on our schedule as if we have the right to tell him what to do and when. Somebody defined disappointment this way. Disappointment equals expectation versus reality or expectation divided by reality. This morning, as we continue our series on the School of Hope, 
we're going to leave Genesis and find another hope lesson in the Old Testament's book of Ruth. And this lesson in hope was learned by a woman who was profoundly disappointed with God. You don't have to raise hands, but I know that in an audience disappointed with God, there's always somebody or a handful that right now find themselves deeply disappointed with God. You don't understand God. You're frustrated with his sense of timing. You wonder why he doesn't seem to answer the prayers that, that you offer in the way that you want. And probably everybody in this room at some point or another has gone through some period of profound disappointment with God. So our topic this morning is that hope springs. We're going to look at three ways that hope springs based on this first chapter of Ruth. Here's the first insight. Hope springs for those who journey back to God. If we pick up the story in verse 7, we are introduced to the life of a woman named Naomi. Naomi is a widow. Her husband has died and both of her sons have died, and her sons were married to two young women from a country outside of Israel, the country of Moab. And so we pick this up in verse 7. It says, With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me. Ruth is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It was likely written about 3,000 years ago during the reign of King David. The reason we say that is that it has family significance to David. For Ruth ends up in the line, uh, she is one of the ancestors of King David. It is a story where two widows are the primary characters in a time of male dominance. For those of you who are frustrated with the Bible that it seems to have so many stories of men, here's an entire book of the Bible where the, the two heroes, if you will, are women that we, we trace through this particular story. The first widow is an older woman named Naomi who is deeply disappointed with God. You may not realize the Bible includes stories like this one about a person who's disillusioned, who's angry, bitter, or disappointed with God. But I think this is one more example of why the Bible is actually relevant even in our time today, because it does address themes like that. What Naomi cannot see at the point that we discover her in the story is that she has taken steps away from God. She never says it in these words, but the clues we find in the story lead us to that realization. Now, you might think that I'm making an assumption by saying this, but let me walk you through some of the clues that are buried here in chapter 1. The first clue comes from the names and locations that are mentioned in the opening verse. Verse 1 says, in the, day of, in the day when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. That might seem like just narrative filler to put the, the sequence and the timing in place, but it actually has a lot that, that is conveyed in that verse. This verse puts the time of the, of the action during the period of the judges, and we're somewhere about 1200 to 1300 BC. That means that the Jewish people had only been living in the promised land for a few generations. After 400 years of slavery in Egypt, the people of Israel had their own land in Israel where they were free, free to follow God, free to serve, free to work, free to enjoy life. The family's home 
was in the town of Bethlehem, which in Hebrew means house of bread. That's a significant detail. Naomi's family moves from Bethlehem, from Israel, from the land of Judah, which was the southern half of Israel, to Moab, a country on the east side of the Jordan River and on the other side of the, of the Dead Sea. Moab was a Gentile nation that had been hostile for hundreds of years toward the people of Israel. And during the Judges' era, Moab harassed and dominated Israel for an 18-year period. We might be tempted to think, what's the big deal? People move all the time. There, there's no moral value when we move from state to state, or if you move to Canada or Mexico or to Europe, right? But it was a little bit different for these people because they'd been promised, after 400 years of slavery, that God was going to give them a land of their own, and this is where God would bless the people of Israel. So it was a big deal in that context to pick up during a difficult season and move to another land and think, there's got to be a better life for me as a Jewish person in 1200 B.C. than there is in the land of Israel. For a family of Jews to leave Bethlehem, the house of bread in Israel, the land of promise, looking for greener grass in Moab, a nation hostile to Israel, was an act of stepping away from the pathway of God's blessing. A second clue comes from the name of Naomi's husband. All the names have some meaning in here. It's very creatively written, this particular story. But her husband's name is Elimelech, which literally means in Hebrew, either uh, my king is God or God is my king. So imagine this, add that detail into the story. We've got this guy whose name's, name means my God is king. He leaves the house of bread to go to a land where people were hostile towards Israel, thinking, this is going to lead me to a better life. Does that make sense to you? Doesn't make sense to me. It seems like he's going against the grain and against the culture, but still expecting God will bless him. This amounts to the opposite of trusting God and leaving the pathway of God's blessing for the Israelites in that time period. Now, after years of moving away from God's pathway of blessing, Naomi's view has become skewed. She was disappointed with God. And she literally says in this opening chapter, the Lord's hand has turned against me. That's her perspective. She's taking a victim's mentality, if you will. And she's saying somehow God is against me when really God has never moved. But Naomi and her family has moved. And they've moved not just physically, but something has changed for them spiritually as well. And she became disappointed with God. This raises a question. Would her perspective change if she put herself back into the pathway of God's blessing? Would her lot in life get better too? And so these questions are meant to rise up in our minds as we read through this opening chapter, wondering what comes next. I found it interesting as I was preparing, Philip Yancey in his book, Disappointment with God, says that, quote, disappointment occurs when the actual experience of something falls short of what we anticipate. That's where Naomi was. She had a different idea of how things were supposed to work out in her head, and life had turned out differently. I don't know about you, but I have talked with all kinds of people over the last 30, 35 years in pastoral work who had different plans in their mind about how life was supposed to work out. And the truth is that 
None of our plans get fulfilled exactly the way that we dream them up when we are much younger. Life is full of curveballs and changes and surprises. And there's no family that I know of that becomes exempt for the hurts and the pains that are normal for life in this world of ours. Because we live in a world that is broken by the sinfulness of the whole human race, and we are all impacted by that. Sometimes we can innocently walk around and we are impacted by somebody else's harmful decisions through no fault of our own, and yet that's the lot that we bear in life. So now after that first journey away from Israel and away from God's blessing, we find Naomi has now embarked on a second journey. And this is the most encouraging journey. This is the most important journey in the story. It's the journey back home to Bethlehem. This woman who thought that there was no hope for her is about to find out that hope springs when we put ourselves in the pathway of God's blessings. Isn't that our hope? I think there are people here today who wonder, what would happen and is there room for me if I were to get back on the pathway? I knew what the pathway once was. I knew what it was like to walk with God, have a close relationship with God, feel this inner harmony. And I know what it's like when I've been walking away from God. And I don't feel that I get his attention anymore. And I wonder if he's listening. And life hurts. And I've got my big bag of my inner rebellions that I don't want to tell anybody else about or I don't want to acknowledge because I'm embarrassed. You'll have to raise a hand, but I would. <laughs> That's part of my story at some point. And Naomi can't see how much she has moved from God. That leads to the second observation. Hope springs when you're surrounded by faith. Faith comes in the midst of this story from one of the most unlikely people. Not from a person who was raised in Jewish faith, but rather from one of those outsiders, one of those people from Moab, the nation that had been hostile. Ruth is one of Naomi's daughters-in-law. She has two of them. Not only has Naomi lost her husband, but both of the sons have died. And here she is in a foreign land living with these two younger women who are also now young widows. And there's just sadness all around. So along the pathway, Naomi urges both of these daughters-in-law to leave, to go back to their families, back to their homes, back to their gods. And they both initially say, no, 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 we're going to go with you. And second time she urges them to leave. And, and this time one of them, a woman named Orpah, gives a, a tearful hug and a goodbye and she goes back to her home. But Ruth speaks up. We pick this up in verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or, or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal ever so severely with me, if even death separates you and me. And verse 18 says, When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Naomi is going home. She has nothing left. She has nowhere else to go. There is nothing for her in Moab other than these two young women to whom she is related by marriage but not by blood. And she knows that 
they need to get on with their lives. There's more for them. And so she starts out toward home, urging both of them to go to their own homes. Orpah leaves, but Ruth stays. And then Ruth's words are nothing short of a faith commitment. They are words that are spoken to Naomi, but they are words that are just as much meant for God. Look at this five-fold promise that she makes to Naomi. Where you go, I will go. She's never been to Israel. She doesn't know what it's like. Where you stay, I will stay. I'm not just going along for the ride. This isn't a vacation for me. Naomi, I'm going with you and I'm going to stay where you stay. Your people will be my people. This is a break from everything that she's known. And your God will be my God. I don't know what she has picked up about God through Naomi. We do know that Naomi has a distorted view of God at this point in time. But Ruth sees enough to say, your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. For the rest of the book of Ruth, hope begins to spring and flow from this faith decision. Ruth tells us that she is all in. She is choosing Naomi's people. She's choosing Naomi's God. When they arrive in Bethlehem, Naomi is bitter and she's blaming God. But Ruth is moving forward in faith and in hope that God will bless them both. Naomi's bitterness keeps her from seeing how blessed she is to have Ruth. Bitterness has that tendency. It, it blinds our perspective. And so she actually says these words, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Wait a minute. That deserves to be evaluated a little bit. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Now think about it. They went away because there was a famine in the land. They weren't going away full in, in some sense. And they were hoping that things were going to be better in this other land. And she's remembering everything kind of romantically, like I had everything that I needed in Moab. Loss will do that. She lost her husband. It's understandable why her perspective is off. She lost both of her sons. It's understandable why the grief is there and why it's clouding her judgment. Didn't Elimelech and Naomi leave everybody else, all their friends and the rest of their family who stayed in Bethlehem and... Bethlehem has been blessed during that time that they've been away. It's been at least 10 years. And they're hearing that God had visited the land of Judah and better times were on hand. It is Ruth's embrace of Israel's people and Israel's land and Israel's faith that begins to surround and support Naomi. And even though, though Naomi is bitter when she arrives, it is Ruth that is moving forward in faith. From this point on, Naomi's bitterness becomes surrounded by Ruth's faith, overmatched by Ruth's faith. Where early on Ruth was choosing to follow in Naomi's footsteps home, Naomi is now the one who benefits from Ruth's faith journey from this point forward. Ruth's faith commitment splashes over and blesses Naomi in turn. Here's the point of all that. You never know how God is going to bless other people, other family members, other friends because of your faith. And that's very often the way that God works. There's one person who starts it all off in the family. 
And that one person seems like the oddball at first and everybody tests her or tests him, gives him a little bit of a hard time. Oh, you're the weirdo, weirdo who's all of a sudden go back, going back to church and, and you're trying to be holier than everybody else and, and you hear the derision. But the more they watch, they see God's blessing. They see the, the inner peace that God gives. And sooner or later, some of them start asking questions. Some of them want more. Like the friend this week who told me about a friend at work who began asking questions. And what a wonderful conversation opened up. And it was an opportunity to talk about where that harmony comes from, where that kind of inner peace and joy comes from. The simple reality is when you live in close relationship with the Lord, other people are blessed because of your faith. They see it in you. They feel it. They may deride you for it, but inside they're curious about it and eventually the point comes where they want to know what is the source of that faith that is the way that God designed things and that's what God was doing here in a renewing way for Naomi Naomi knew Naomi had experienced far more than Ruth but as Ruth steps forward in faith Naomi gets blessed Brendan Manning in his book the, Ra the ragamuffin gospel once wrote Many people between the ages of 30 and 60, whatever their stature, stature in the community and whatever their personal achievements, undergo what can truly be called a second journey. And that's what we see here in, in Naomi. This is the second journey of her life. The first journey was the journey away, but it's the journey back that means so much more. Let me land on that for a minute. Sometimes, there are people who get dragged in here with your parents or with a friend, and, and you're on that journey away. You're kind of pushing God away. Too many rules. I don't want the confines of all of that. And you start to walk away and say, I'm going to test that. And God understands. God understands how many of us have walked that first journey away, having grown up in a family or an environment of faith. But you know, the journey that really matters most is the second journey. When the day comes that your eyes are open in a different way and will you have the courage to turn around and to come back toward him. That's what God longs for. That's why we love the stories like the, the, the father with his two sons in what's most often called the prodigal son. The father lets the son walk away knowing he's going to test everything, knowing that the point comes when he will be miserable with the choices that he's made and just waits for the time when he comes back. It's the picture of God waiting for that second journey to start. If God's tapping on your shoulder and you feel like, wow, this is speaking to me, he's telling you, begin the journey home. Begin to turn around and, and don't be afraid of God. Don't be afraid that God's all of a sudden going to land on you and judge you or reject you or push you away. He is waiting for you with open arms. And I believe... Even in that old covenant way, he was waiting for Naomi, just as his, her friends were. And then here's the third observation. Hope springs for those who venture out in faith. Jump ahead a little bit to the second chapter. Ruth and Naomi, they arrive in Bethlehem. And Naomi is stunned that uh, they cause a stir. And all of Bethlehem is talking about them because they remember Naomi from so many years ago. And Ruth goes out to work in one of the fields the next day. She gathers with the poorest of the poor to stand a few paces behind the harvesters in the barley harvest season. 
so that she can pick up some of the leftover grain that's there in the field, left behind for the poor. And she happens to pick the field of a man named Boaz, who's a distant relative of her deceased father-in-law. That afternoon, Boaz talks with her, and this is what he said, verse 11, chapter 2. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What does Boaz know? Just by returning to Bethlehem with Naomi, Ruth was venturing out in faith. She knew that she would be seen as a foreigner, as an outsider, but she went anyway. She ventured out toward Israel with Naomi, choosing Naomi's homeland as her own, choosing Naomi's people as her own, choosing Naomi's God as her own, choosing Naomi's burial place as a place where she would one day be buried too. When they arrived, Ruth ventured out in faith by heading into the fields to pick grain, a humble existence, identifying herself as having no other means than charity. And as she walked behind the harvesters, picking up the leftover grain, left for the poor, something happened. Other people noticed. And the talk went out among the harvesters, and the word goes to Boaz. And when he asked the question, who is this young woman, they tell her, Tell him, oh, she's the one who came back from Moab with Naomi. And Boaz realizes this is the person that's keeping a distant relative of his alive through her personal labor and her love for Naomi. And he marvels at her. This man who owned the field was a distant relative from Naomi's family. He'd noticed Ruth in the fields. And he added his blessing to this foreigner's life hoping that God would repay her. And then Boaz makes this statement, recognizing that Ruth had ultimately taken refuge under the Lord himself. And so he uses this phrase, he, he likens God to like an eagle who would oversee uh, the chicks in the nest, that she would be richly rewarded, rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And he realizes that what has happened here is more than just coming with Naomi, Ruth has come to God. She's ventured out in faith, believing that if she put herself in the pathway that God typically blesses, and if she was just faithful in the process, that God would begin to reveal himself to her. So one of the themes of the book of Ruth is that God blesses those who venture out in faith. Not that he makes everything perfect, but that God reaches out to you. Perhaps you're one of those who is new to all of this. I want you to know this as you step out in faith, no matter what the risk, no matter what you think you might have to leave behind, you will find that God richly blesses and rewards those who begin to step out in risky ways in faith. All that leads to this main idea here uh, at the end of this. It kind of ties it all together. Hope springs for those who journey back to God and for those who venture out in faith. And I'm so glad that both sides of that are true. Because in every crowd that we talk to or every crowd that gathers here, there's some who need to come back on that journey to God and there are others who are just beginning. 
But we're all in the same boat. And when we reach out to him, he gathers us in, he protects us, and he welcomes us with open arms. Hope springs, it pours out for those who journey back to God and for those who venture out in faith. So we're on this journey looking at hope, and part of what we talked about a few weeks ago is that 2019 is a year when those of us who are taking up the challenge were saying yes to God. So I just have a couple of questions. For those of you who have found that you've been wandering away from God, and you came here to get church out of the way or to please somebody else, so just raising the question, any chance that God is calling you on a journey back to Him? My hope is that you'll say yes to God, and you'll begin that journey in all earnestness, and you will find that you are blessed, you are blessed along the pathway. My second question is for those who are new to all of this, and you've been holding faith at a distance, but will you say yes to God in 2019? knowing that God honors those who reach out to him in new ways. Let's pray. Father God, this is a great year we're looking forward to, and we're starting off with these themes of hope, asking that you will pour a renewed sense of hope into each and every one of us. Hope that is anchored in what you have done in the past, hope that is tied to the promises that are yet to come in the future. Thank you for the promises that you, week in and week out, answer in the here and now. The promises to forgive those who acknowledge our sinfulness to you. The promise to restore us, to wash us, and make us as white as snow on the inside of our lives, no matter how much we fouled things up on the outside. Thank you, Lord, that there is no area of turning away from you that is so profound that you will not welcome us back. Thank you that no matter how messy our lives are, even as Naomi's life was messy, that you continue to make room. May this be the year that we experience literally hundreds of people who are influenced by the message of grace that rings out from this church and from this congregation that spills out into so many avenues of our society. And we ask that you will cause others to see the grace that resides within us and the peace of mind and heart that we live with and cause others to not only notice but to ask, where can I find that too? We're going to say, yes, Lord. Use us in the process each day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the things we get to do early in this year is is to begin to uh, make this calendar year one that is uh, marked by our faithfulness and our devotion. So I want to thank you for your decisions about how you will give and how you will support uh, the work of our church. Thank you for those of you who are principled givers or tithers. But I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward and we'll receive this morning's offering. Thank you for being here. We've got one last song we're going to sing. I look forward to seeing you next Sunday.